0: hey guys happy monday i hope you're ready to have another epic week and on that note we have another episode for you to listen to of the epic week podcast we have been playing around with some different formats and new ideas so it'll be posted here on my platform and then very soon it'll be over on the bacon sports handles so take a look for that give them a follow and like i said have a great week all i want for my birthday is a big booty gun. all i want for my birthday
1: Hello, and welcome to Epic Week by Bacon Sports. I'm Tom Pellegrino, along with my podcast tag team partner, Nick Schweedering. Today, we will be covering sports birthdays and events in sports history for the week of December 10th through December 16th. We have two birthdays and two anniversaries, plus a few others that are receiving votes. This week, we'll be covering Rodney Harrison and Craig Biggio, the anniversary of the Mitchell Report, and the 1962 Miami Dolphins regular season. Nick, tell us about Rodney Harrison. All right. Born on December 15th,
0: 1972, A lot of the information I gathered was super emotional. I mean, you you remember Rodney Harrison as this hard-hitting guy, a lot of fines. But when I watched, and I'm going to always try to recommend documentaries when I can, it's A Football Life, Rodney Harrison. You learn that as a kid, he had a stuttering problem. They were poor. His mom and him were poor. His dad wasn't around much. They, They were made fun of a lot. She had to sacrifice a $40 light bill just so he could start playing football. Uh, near high school. Yeah, tough situation. He, uh, mm-hmm. he wants to challenge himself academically, so he ends up going to Marion Catholic in Chicago. It's majority white. Again, they're throwing things at his car when he's getting dropped off at practice. A common theme in his life is that everything he did was to strive to get a better life for him and his mother and for people to stop making fun of him. Um, this is the guy who displaced Lawyer Malloy in New England. So I've got a question for you, Tom. With all the fines going on these days and the style of play in the NFL has changed drastically. Would would his style of play be tolerated in today's with today's rules?
1: I think Rodney Harrison was a smart enough guy and a smart enough player that I think in the first five or six weeks of the season it'd be one of those situations where it would look like a disaster. He'd have a few calls that cost the team field position or got a first down, but I think he would ultimately adjust to the style of play. You know, there, the players, the players—I hate to say back then—but players in that time, I think, played the rules of that game. I think he would. I think he specifically would have adjusted out of um, the lot of the hitters that could knock the taste out of your mouth. It's just so hard to slow players like that down. It's easier to train a guy to speed up. Anyway, let's move on to the next Mm -hmm. one. December 13th, 2007, the Mitchell Report was released, or according to its formal title, the report to the Commissioner of Baseball of an independent investigation into the illegal use of steroids and other performance-enhancing substances by players in Major League Baseball. Does that (laughs) not jump off the bookshelf?
0: has a nice ring to Uh, it.
1: Exactly. Former Senator George Mitchell conducted a 20-month investigation into the use of steroids and HGH in Major League Baseball. The 409-page report just say that out loud in a sentence and it sounds just like mind numbing <laughs> released on December 13th, 2007 covers the history of the use of illegal performance enhancing substances by players 89 players past and present at that time were mentioned in the report so nick we're going to play a game let's do so it. i'm going to i'm when you hear about these players connected to peds your level of surprise was on a scale of one to ten all right let's do all it right, you ready all right 10 is i am shocked one is not shocked at all okay here we go roger clemens
0: All right, so Roger Clements, after he chucks the broken bat at Piazza, maybe my surprise level lessened significantly, but uh, initially maybe I was a little surprised. So, how about I go middle of the road since it's the first guy and not sure who else you're going to throw out? So, I'll give him five. All
1: right, Andy Pettit.
0: Okay, another pitcher. Um, For me, like, when I learned about all this, and maybe it was true for you as well, I think a lot of people thought of steroids and PEDs as giving hitters an advantage for hitting home runs, you know, hitting dingers. Mm -hmm. But turns out a lot of pitchers were using them as well for recovery. So, again, crafty lefty. I was was pretty surprised with Pettit, so I'll go a little higher than Clemens and go a 7.
1: All right. Miguel Tejada.
0: Very interesting. I mean, he's kind of a thick guy for a shortstop. Uh, did have a lot of pop. Um, kind of, again, the the middle of the road. I mean, I wasn't shocked, but eh, there was a little surprise. I'll go five again. Eric Gagne. Oh. All right. Here's a guy who looked like he would use anything to gain an <clears throat> advantage. Pine tar, uh, whatever. So not so surprised with Gagne. Again, he's a pretty big guy. So level of surprise was pretty low. I'll go a three. All right. Jason Giambi. Oh, heartbreaker because I think he's a great guy in general. But to be honest, wasn't too surprised.
1: So I'm going to go right there with Gagne, maybe a two or a three. He was his rookie card. He played on an Olympic team and he got a rookie card that way. And he didn't look like the same guy. Right. If you look at those two pictures, they are dramatically different.
0: Right. A lot of these guys, just their body types change so much. Uh, Jose Canseco. All right, this has got to be the layup <laughs> the layup of the steroid users.
1: I'm going one if I could go zero, I would. Barry Bonds was mentioned in the report but never officially official.
0: Okay, very interesting and I've got a small personal experience from this one. I was in Ron of Japan, one of those hibachi restaurants in Chicago. And I saw uh, a bunch of players, Barry Bonds being one of them. And he walks by and uh, my buddy goes, what's up, Barry? And he touches my shoulder. And I'm telling you, this guy, I would call his body type and his head type double wide. So and I've seen his rookie card, too. And that's a serious body change there. I wasn't really surprised, man. He's hitting he's hitting astronomical
1: home runs. All right. And finally, Mo Vaughn.
0: (laughs) Mo Vaughn. Okay. Uh. Very surprised. Uh, I would be surprised also if if any of his PDs weren't like wings and burgers. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was a performance enhan- enhancing drug for Movon. Wings, burgers, and maybe some some big league chew. Well, <laughs> pizza, yeah, uh, sure.
1: and then uh, interestingly, in the report, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were not mentioned. Mm.
0: Okay, I would maybe interesting is a good word. Also, convenient. I think that their yeah. home run battle back in the day that. That epic home run battle that they had. I think that may have saved baseball. So I find it very convenient that they weren't named in the reports. Nick's using air
1: quotes there if you can't, if you can't hear it over the air. <laughs> All right. All right. So Nick, are we back to you. on
0: here? All right. My next yep. birthday is Craig Biggio, born December 14th, 1965. Uh, went to Seton Hall in college. Uh, started as an infielder, but the team needed a catcher. And the coach chose him. He's actually drafted as a catcher in 87. He's drafted 22nd overall ahead of players like Pete Harnish, Travis Fryman, and Albert Bell. I'm going to ask you, Tom, because Griffey was first
1: overall in that draft. Mm -hmm. Was
0: Biggio the steal of
1: that draft or that round, let's say? I'll say that he was the steel of the round because if you take a look at everybody else who's on the list, they were people who you, you would think, you know, when they were coming up that they were going to be the next big thing. And Biggio didn't really come in with a splash. He just kind of came in, did his job and then he started making all-star teams. And then you'd look around, then you'd look and you'd have a thousand hits, 1500 hits and just build this really good, steady career. So it's not like he would make a flash and not somebody that you would immediately say in conversation that, he was going to be fantastic but his overall career I think gives him that moniker the steal of the first round of the 87 baseball draft
0: I got to agree with you man I mean 20 20 years with one team so and during that 20 years like I said catcher they move him to the infield to preserve some speed eventually he plays a little uh a little outfield is there a guy in today's game that's as versatile as he is I mean I'm thinking like zobrist or I mean Marwin Gonzalez is a is another Astro example but I don't think anybody does it as as many different positions as Vigio. how do you
1: feel about that the closest I think it is is zobrist just because anytime I'm watching the playoffs that he's in I they'll announce okay we've moved players around with double switches etc and zobrist is always still in the game and he was in second base in one inning and now he's in left field in the next inning and then they moved him to right field the you know two innings later the, the I think the closest you get is is Zobrist. I feel you. There's also the
0: Otani conversation. But anyway, one more mm-hmm. question for you and then we'll move on.
1: Was he mm-hmm. the best killer bee? From a body of work perspective, yes. Over Bagwell and Burr and Beltran. At any given year, no. It was always Bagwell and Biggio, Berkman and Bagwell and Biggio. Beltran and Biggio it was never Biggio and he was always the he was the kicker to the poker hand that was the ace of the killer bees True that. All right, let's move on. Mm-hmm. December 16th, 1972, the Miami Dolphins finished running the table on the undefeated regular season, going 14-0, and first team ever to do this. The New England Patriots achieved the same feat in the 2007 regular season. We are not talking about the Super Bowl. Um, so we're going to try and go as apples to apples as we can. So here's some facts about the regular season for the Dolphins that year. They only played two games against teams with a winning record. Mm. They played no games against teams that made the playoffs. However, they pitched three shutouts, two against the Baltimore Colts, one against the New England Patriots. Every year, we all know, the team celebrates when the last undefeated team meets their demise in the regular season, or in the Pats' case, the Super Bowl. Here's some facts about the regular season for the Pats. Seven games against teams with winning records, six games against teams that made the playoffs, but no shutouts. Uh, The best they did, seven points in one game. So for a regular season run, are we looking at the Dolphins of 72 or the 2007 Patriots? It's
0: hard for me. I watched that. Obviously, I watched the Pat season. I wasn't alive when the when the Dolphins ran the table like yeah. that, so I haven't even seen a lot of game tape. I do know that I see them all the time, like you mentioned, celebrating. It kind of gets on my nerves a little bit. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go with the Pats. Oh, who's that one guy? I forget which one. I think he was a DB. He's really aggressive on the. Uh, we're the best ever. No one's done it like us.
1: Anywho, I think Mercury Moore I think it's Mercury Morris. He's he a running back and. And then okay, Nick Connie okay. the linebacker, was really is all about it too. Yeah, maybe it's
0: Mercury Morris because I
1: remember he had a wild name. Anywho, I, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm going with the Pats. How about you? I agree. Uh, it, it's it, it comes down to how many teams made the playoffs that you played even though there wasn't any shutouts i mean the 07 season you could argue started this kind of weird nintendo level of scoring that we're on in the nfl so the shutouts i don't think are a big are as big of a deal i think it's the six games against teams that made the playoffs
0: i hear you all right you've got a few really good honorable mentions or others receiving votes
1: so take off tom all right december 11th 1993 florida state quarterback charlie Ward wins the Heisman Trophy he then went on to get drafted at the number 26 overall pick in the draft the NBA draft (laughs) to the New York Knicks Ward was also a point guard on the Seminole basketball team he said he'd go to the NFL if he was taken in the first round That didn't happen. He wasn't projected to be taken in the first round. So ultimately, he went undrafted because he put the word out, don't take me if I'm not a first rounder. Ultimately, he played 12 years uh, in the NBA, primarily with the Knicks. And at the time he was being taken... The Giants were going through just these ridiculously awful quarterbacks. Uh, They they had Dave Brown. They had Kent Graham. Um, The Jets had a bunch of sorry quarterbacks until they ultimately wound up taking Chad Pennington, who wound up being good. So the joke in New York from about 94 to 99 was the best quarterback in New York City plays for the Knicks. (laughs) Um, he played tw- he played 12 years in the NBA, primarily with the Knicks. There was a point after his rookie year where the Kansas City Chiefs reached out to the Knicks and to Ward, asking him to try out to be Joe Montana's backup. Wow. But at that point, Ward was committed to basketball at that point. That's incredible, man. It would have been an, off- it would have been an awesome two-sport move. Oh, yeah.
0: I mean, it's weird. You don't see often that combo of football and basketball. I, I remember a few guys in college doing it like Julius Peppers and Connor Barwin. But it's more that baseball football
1: thing, like right? like Dion, right? And Bo Jackson. Yeah, exactly. And then way back when uh, Dave Busher, another Knicks great, was a pitcher for the Chicago White Sox for about five years, too. And he kind of did that double duty. But yeah, basketball and football, that that's rare. All right. What's the last one? Yep. Last one is awesome. Um, Anyone who collected baseball cards in the 80s and 90s know this one very well. Billy Ripken, born on December 16th, 1964. Other than being Cal Ripken Jr.'s brother, there's nothing super noteworthy about his career except for one thing. His 1989 Fleer baseball card is legendary. Oh, yeah. On picker day, he grabbed a bat posed for the fleer photographer and on the knob of the bat it said f blank face (laughs) clear as day on the handle of the bat on the knob of the bat the photographer didn't notice nobody at fleer noticed none of the proofers noticed nothing the the card goes into circulation with that on the knob and then they find out so they re-release the card the first time through. Fleer releases it with whiteout kind of over the card or over the knob of the bat. Then they release another version that kind of did the blurkle thing um, on on the bat knob, and then finally they release the card with a black box on the bat knob. And the coolest part is all four versions are collector's items. Uh, you know, if you collect cards from basically 1984 to to now none of the cards are really worth much but this is one of the exceptions just because there's four versions of it and they're all pretty rare um they're all pretty rare because they kept Fleer kept re-releasing it trying to make up for this thing that's so ridiculous so i think that's all we got right (laughs) yeah all right good episode That's all for the show today. Please check out Bacon Sports on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Bacon Sports. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and rate us, preferably a New Jersey Nets Jason Kidd jersey number of stars. That's five. (laughs) Sending us out is Ray Mysterio's entrance music because his birthday is December 11th. For Nick Schweedering, I'm Tom Pellegrino. Make it an epic week.